Greetings again, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I want to take a second look at a book by Jonathan Morrow. It's called Think Christianly. And uh, I really like on the back cover here Chuck Colson, who, of course, is founder of Prison Fellowship. He said, as someone who has devoted many years of ministry to teaching Christian worldview, I'm thrilled to see dynamic and faithful worldview leaders like Jonathan Morrow stepping to the fore. Think Christianly in a compelling and accessible way equips Christians, young and old, to engage the culture winsomely, intelligently, and confidently. And I think that's so true. Um, he talks in there a lot about faith and culture. He, he says this book is uh, looking at the intersection of faith and culture. And I want to do one chapter here. Well, well first is understanding our culture and then preparing to engage and then areas that we have to engage in. So uh, I want to do, gosh, there's so much good stuff in here. I'm going to do chapter 11, which is un, under the section of areas we must engage, and it's called Truth, Tolerance, and Relativism, and includes an interview with Craig Hayes. And that's one reason I really like this book. Morrow does a chapter of what he thinks is important, and then he does an interview. And people like Scott Klusendorf uh, are interviewed. Uh, of course, he's the, the pro-life champion. Sean McDowell is uh, interviewed. Brett Kunkel with Maven. Uh, Craig Hazen, William Lane Craig. Uh, Jay Wesley Richards, let's see, who else? Uh, John Stone Street, Paul Copan, Alan Schleeman. So a lot of good people are being interviewed here. So let's go to uh, chapter 11, Truth, Tolerance, and Relativism. And I guess the reason this meant a lot to me <clears throat> was uh, lately I've been doing talks on the idea of truth and how it's disappeared and being replaced with moral relativism and multiculturalism and religious pluralism and things like that, where people are not treating religions as anything particularly serious and not treating uh, morality as anything particularly serious. You just kind of make up your own as you go. And so I thought maybe I would start by having what Morrow does with his intro to this chapter. It's from Ross Durhat. I hope I'm, or doubt, doubt that. Okay, D-O-U-T-H-A-T. The differences between religions are worth debating. Theology has consequences. Boy, amen to that. That's just me saying it. It shapes lives, families, nations, cultures, wars. It can change people, save them from themselves, and sometimes warp or even destroy them. If we tiptoe politely around this reality, then we betray every teacher, guru, and philosopher, including Jesus of Nazareth and the Buddha both, Whoever sought to resolve the most human of all problems, how then should we live? So, Morrow starts off this chapter and he says, he keeps running into a bumper sticker. And I've seen it, I bet you have too. It says, coexist. And they use, as they spell out coexist, they use letters <clears throat> from different religious symbols. And he says, basically, you know, what's going on is everybody get along because there's nothing to argue about anyway. It's all personal preference. And he's saying that's exactly what's going on in our society today. Personal preference reigns supreme, and it does. And especially, I think, in certain areas, in the case of religion, he says, uh, you like chocolate, I like strawberry. There's no one true religion. It's just your personal experience, just your taste, like ice cream. He says, but let's clear up a misconception. Christianity, he says, is not the enemy of diversity. 
No, it says God created humanity and all of its wonderful diversity. And he says we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth someday filled with people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And he points out, which I think is really good to hear, if things keep up the way they've been going, by 2050 there'll be more Christians in the global south, that'd be Africa and Asia, than in the west. But he said religious relativism is a bad idea on several levels. He says it fails to respect the fundamental teachings of most religions. So here we go. He has a section here called Truth Matters. He says people seem confused these days about truth, and they're skeptical about even having the possibility of truth. But, and this is something I've emphasized when I've talked to my groups, down deep they have an awareness of truth. In other words, we all have to live in the reality that God created, and he created us already knowing truth. You know, Ecclesiastes said God put eternity in our hearts. Okay, so that's just me talking here, but I think Morrow is uh, exactly right. Deep down, people have an awareness of truth. <clears throat> the classic common sense notion of truth is called the co correspondence theory. If I say it, and that corresponds to the way things really are, then that's truthful. And he says people do want the truth about reality. Uh, if God's there, does he love me? Does he care? Can I find forgiveness? What happens when I die? But Morrow says, you know, the way things are going in our culture these days, there's a lot less confidence that there's any truth in religion and ethics. They think there's truth in science, and they think there's truth in um, other fields, history, let's say. But when it comes to religion and ethics, and eh, not so much. The idea that there's a fact-value split is what he's talking about here. People think that science deals with facts, but religions deal with values. Okay, so he says uh, we need to, to listen to some of these uh, statements here and think about the fact that there is truth underneath here. So listen to these statements. There is no truth. Yeah? Is that a true statement? How about this one? We can't know truth, but apparently that is a truth that person knows. All truth is relative. Is that a truth claim that's relative? You have your truth and I have my truth. But is that true for both of us? I don't believe anything unless it can be proven scientifically. What scientific experiment taught you that truth? So we see that these are called self-refuting statements, but we, we need to realize that people say these kinds of things, but they don't really believe them. Down deep, they have an awareness of truth. They just parrot these things. They're self-refuting statements. And we need to be aware of those and be looking for those. Um, he says, as Christians, we ought to be passionate about knowing the truth because God is passionate about the truth. What did Jesus say in John eight thirty two? He said, knowing the truth does what? It sets people free. And the New Testament calls the body of Christ to function as, according to 1 Timothy, the pillar and foundation of that truth. C.S. Lewis, of course, nails it like he does so many other things. Here's what Lewis has to say. Christianity claims to give an account of the facts to tell you what the real universe is like. Its account of the universe may be true or it may not. And once the question is really before you, then your natural inquisitiveness must make you want to know the answer. If Christianity is untrue, then no honest man will want to believe it, however helpful it might be. If it is true, every honest man will want to believe it, even if it gives him no help at all. All right, and then at that point, Morrow comes up with two popular myths that need to be exposed. And again, I've covered some of this myself. I just think this is so helpful. Number one, 
All religions basically teach the same thing. Really? Yeah, but the truth is that all religions are not the same. They, all, they don't all point to God. In fact, some religions don't believe in God. Um, they, each religion has a way of defining who or what God is. So Buddhism rejects some of Hinduism. Islam rejects Buddhism and Hinduism. So we're, we're, they exclude each other because they don't see the world the same way. He said, how about this as an example? Jesus is the only way to God. Now, that's in John 14. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity disagree about that. And he says, of course, we should be tolerating Jewish and Muslim friends, but either Jesus was not the Messiah, that's Judaism, or he was the Messiah, that's Christianity, or he was just a great prophet, that's Islam. Not all three. They could all be false, but they can't all be true. Oh, amen to that. Morrow then goes on to tell that famous story that gets told to people who believe in religious pluralism, the story of the blind men and the elephant. Uh, so a bunch of blind men, uh, I'll keep the story really short because I bet you've heard it before, but a bunch of blind men meet an elephant and one grabs a tusk, one grabs a tail, one grabs a leg, and they keep arguing because they find that they all disagree about this. Nobody knows really what the elephant is like. So the, the moral of the story supposedly is we all have partial truths, but we don't have the whole truth. So our experiences of, a God, of God are kind of like the blind men and the elephant. And that's pretty convincing, isn't it? But the problem is, wait a minute, who, somebody is seeing the whole elephant and telling all the rest of the people who are blind what's going on there. Well, how did the person who saw the whole, whole elephant, how did this person have sight? And then the person, the people who couldn't see, why, why are they blind? And of course, according to this parable, the people that are blind are us as religious individuals. So this is actually an insult to Muslims and Hindus and Christians and Jews because it's saying, you're all blind, but I can see. See, I can see the whole elephant. And Morrow says, if this doesn't count as arrogance, I'm not sure what does. So it's not a humble statement at all. It puts down all these billions of people saying, you've all got it pretty much wrong. You only have a little tiny piece of it, but I see the whole thing. That is arrogant, isn't it? And he says, certainly people could be arrogant when they hold the truth, or they could be condescending when they talk to others, but it doesn't follow that they're arrogant for making a truth claim. Why are you arrogant for making a truth claim? That doesn't make any sense. Are teachers in college arrogant for talking about history or uh, science or philosophy? No, I don't think so. Okay, so he says, <clears throat> do you recognize the hidden assumption that all religions are basically the same? Christians have to engage those moments with the substance of what they believe. It's going to take some courage, he says, and I agree, and some training. I think that's where apologetics comes in. He says, but we can help people move beyond these slogans and myths to the truth. And I want to stop there for just a second because I think this is huge. There are slogans and there are myths that are out there. And we need to think about them and really analyze them because it's easy to just say something uh, that you've heard before, but to really decide if that's true or not is something else. Uh, people are pretty lazy thinkers these days. It's easy for them to take a slogan and just parrot it. But what do they really mean by that? Um, he says, you know, civility is a virtue. So that's kind of nice when you want everybody to get along. But he said, the goal is not for everyone to, to agree. Christianity, he says, is actually inclusive and exclusive at the same time, which is pretty interesting, right? Christianity is inclusive. Anybody can be a follower of Christ. 
It doesn't matter what your social status is, or your gender, or your race, or your IQ. The offer is free. But Christianity is also exclusive, isn't it? Jesus says, if you don't believe I'm the one I claim to be, you'll die in your sins. Wow. Uh, I like it. He quotes Brett Kunkel, and I like uh, Kunkel's work a lot. Kunkel says this, Jesus offers both the diagnosis and a cure. Sin is the disease we're all infected with, and Jesus is the one true cure. So why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only medicine that can cure the spiritual disease, sin, that's killing us. So he says truth and tolerance can coexist, no doubt about it. And then at the end of the chapter, I think I told you, every time he has a chapter, Morrow has an interview, and he interviews Craig Hazen. And I think this is really nice. It's titled, Jesus Among World Religions. And Hazen says, when he runs into somebody that's really thinking about looking for religions and trying to see what's the best one, he said, he tells them, you know, any thoughtful person on a religious quest should start with Christianity. And he's got four reasons. And I think these are good. One, Christianity is testable. So, for example, the New Testament, Jesus says, uh, New Testament says Jesus was raised from the dead. And if not, it's worthless. So he says, you got to look at the evidence for the resurrection. And Hazen says, you'd be surprised how strong the case for the resurrection of Jesus really is. So first, if you're going to look at religions, why don't you start with Christianity? It's testable. Number two, it's giving salvation free. It says you think about all of the work for other religions, but it's a free gift from a loving God in Christianity. So first, it's testable. Secondly, salvation is free in Christianity. Third, you get a good worldview fit. In other words, the world is really the way Christianity paints it. And he says, here's an example, the issue of evil and pain and suffering. He said, you've got Eastern religions that say evil and pain and suffering aren't even real. They're just illusions. But he said, we know they're real. We experience them every day. He said, Christianity doesn't shy from facing up to the reality of evil and pain and suffering. So it seems to be more in line with the way the world really is, at least on that issue. And number four, why should you investigate Christianity? Jesus is at the center. He says everybody likes to make Jesus part of their religion. He is the universal religious figure. But it says, doesn't it make sense? Hazen says, doesn't it make sense? If you're on a religious quest, start with the religion that's always had Jesus firmly planted at the center, and that's Christianity. So there are his four reasons why it'd be smart to start your religious exploration with an in-depth look at Christianity. Craig Hazen is another person I like a lot. Uh, you, you'll get something out of a lot of his work. Okay, and then um, I like it also at the end of the chapter. He gives you a lot of resources to go to, like websites, str.org, that's Stand to Reason, um, thinkchristianly.org. Uh, he's got books like True for You But Not for Me. That's Paul Copan. How about Tactics, Greg Kokel's book. I really like that book and always tell people they ought to have that on their bookshelf. Uh, the Reason for God, Tim Keller, and uh, some others I won't spend time on. But that again, the book is called Think Christianly. It's a good book, something that I think will help us as we interact with our culture that seems so lost these days. Thanks, and we'll do another podcast soon.